Hello and welcome to The Artist Appeals, the podcast where we answer the question, how do you make a living with your art? In this podcast, we interview leading industry experts, working artists and creatives about how they make a living with their art. We seek the secret sauce to how do you make a living with your art? How do you make money with your art? So whether you're a photographer, a graphic designer, an illustrator, a hand letterer, are you a designer, a sculptor, a painter, whatever your medium may be, we have answers. We interview everybody we can get our hands on, leading industry experts from craft company CEOs to working entrepreneur, artistpreneurs. So welcome to the Artist Appeals. I am your host, Erin Sparler. And this is season three. I'm so excited to share with you today's episode. In today's episode, we speak with the Vice President of Marketing of Conmare Group. Now, you may not have heard of Conmare Group, but they are in charge of developing brands like Counter Art, Highland Home, Chop Chop, and Hello Little One. They have over 5,000 product SKUs. They're a printer and manufacturer of American-made products. And this lady is the Vice President of Marketing, but her title doesn't even begin to encompass all of the things that she does and the amazing amount of information she shares with us today about art licensing and product development. So without further ado, please allow me to introduce you to Cindy Steele. Hello, Cindy. How are you? Fine, Erin. It's so good to be here. Thank you. Oh, thanks for coming on. I'm so excited to have you. This is going to be a little bit different of an episode, right? Because you're not a typical artist. You're a product developer. What is your actual title? I am the Vice President of Marketing for Connemar Group. Mm, Vice President of Marketing. I like that. That's that's a hot title. <laughs> well, and, and in our field, it means something totally different. When I think of marketing, I think of paperwork and advertising. But, but yeah. here, it also incorporates design, product development, and the whole aspect of communicating with sales. Yeah. So, encompasses a lot. Very different title. Um, Well, I mean, it's a a common title, but the way you define it is definitely different than I've heard before. Yes. For our market, it changes. So we always try and keep the podcast in this organization of the appeals acronym, just so that it flows and everybody kind of knows what's coming and, and also so they can almost jump forward to sections and it's just so much information. So we always start with art, but since, um, you come at it from a little bit different angle, I want to ask you, how do you find the artists you like to deal with? Um, you guys produce a lot of products. How many products do you guys release a quarter? Oh my gosh. Sometimes it's around 1200. It just depends on what time of the year it is. And, and we, we keep in our stock probably about 5,000 SKUs or so, because we have so many different divisions. We have four different divisions. We have counter art brand, Highland home brand, Callahome brand, chop chop brand. We cover gift market, tabletop, housewares, kitchen, home decor. So a little bit different. And and in order to cover all those areas, we do several things. One, Mm -hmm. we do have an in-house team. We have in-house artists, 
and graphic artists. And I, I sometimes differentiate because if you're a graphic artist, it doesn't mean that you are an artist that can paint and draw. So both of mm. those are really important. And then licensed artists are very important to us because if you have that many SKUs, you can't possibly do that much new art at one time. So right. we we find artists from just going out to agents mm-hmm. that license a number of artists and also reaching out to individual artists. Artists reach out to us. Mm-hmm. We we did attend Surtex mm-hmm. um, in the past. More recently, it has become a smaller show, but there it was a, a great opportunity to find new people. We're always looking for new talented artists. Sometimes when I'm online, if I'm looking at Pinterest, I see mm-hmm. somebody I like, I click in and reach out to see if that person might be interested in licensing. It might be somebody who never thought of it before. Yeah. Now, do you, when you go from Pinterest, I know sometimes the links get broken, but most of the time they're supposed to go back to the website. Do you go and explore that person's website first and reach out through their website? I I do. I usually try to reach out to the person. You know, generally if you're, if you're going on Pinterest, you find somebody who's followed somebody and then you Mm -hmm. have to, to get back to the original artist and, and then I'll reach out. But we don't always get a response. Sometimes I'll reach out and I don't hear back. Um, another another wow. avenue is just to go to, to local trade shows. You might find somebody there who's creating art, just showing. We have, I live in Florida, uh-huh. and we have quite a few artists out of Florida that are, I'm going to say, local in the, the nearby vicinity. So that's uh-huh. always an option. Yeah. Well, I think everybody probably wants to know now, if they're listening, how do I reach out to you? Like, what's an acceptable form of of contact? Email is probably the best. Um, I'm sure that you'll share my email later. I can, or, you know, I can put it down below in the show notes. But like, what kind of format do you like? Do you just like a short, sweet email with a picture in it? Or do you like a link to a website or... I'm glad you asked that, Erin. One thing that we don't like is for somebody to reach out and give us a link to their website only because, and I'll tell you why, um, what I like to see first is a sampling of art. I like to see that the artist has looked at our website, they've Mm. seen the type of products that we do, and Mm -hmm. then they give us an example of what they have that would fall in line with our site. We have artists that continually send emails and say, go look at my website. Well, I have a lot going on. I don't have time to always go in and browse through pages and pages of images that may not be for us. Now, that doesn't mean I never do that. If, If you send me some images and they're images I feel are of interest, I usually will go back and explore But we're so fast-paced, fast-moving, that we prefer the artist to send some images, just pique our interest, and then we'll reach back out. The the other thing to know is that we do a lot of custom work. So many times, once you're on our list, 
we'll send out an art call and we'll say, this is what we're looking for. And then the artist can respond to that. Oh, that's great. I love that idea. How do you get on your uh, challenge call list? You just send your name with your email (laughs) and say, add me to your art call. I love it. You know, that's really counter to, I think, what we learn and maybe even what we're taught because oftentimes you hear in marketing that when you're approaching somebody, you want to send them a short, sweet email with a link to your website because your email might get flagged if you put an image into it or if you put several images, it might be too large. So I think that's really great advice that you like people to approach you and make it easy for you. We do. And to make it related to what you already do. Two really good tips. Absolutely. And I think, Erin, one thing when I talk about that, be more specific to us, it shows us that you've taken a look at what we do and you're really giving us something that is within our line of products. When we see somebody who repeatedly sends images that don't work for us, we actually delete them from our list Mm, and no longer look at their emails. The other thing I should point out too is don't artists should not be offended. If we don't reply, we're working so fast. If we don't see something, if it's not particularly what we're looking for at that time, we don't have time to answer every email, but I can guarantee you if it comes in and we like it, you're going to hear from us pretty quickly. I think it's amazing that you do 1,200 SKUs a quarter. I mean, that's only three months. Well, I should say not a quarter. That's That typically would be in an introduction. Okay. Generally, we'll introduce twice a year. Most of the time, it's for the January market mm-hmm. and then again for the July market. It just really depends on the type of year. This year has been an not a normal year, shall we say. (laughs) So for actually for 2021, (laughs) oh yes, oh yes. For 2021, we are taking a different approach. We are continuing with our 2020 catalog and we're only offering a supplement. So I don't even have my total SKU count yet of what I'm introducing, but uh, it will be much less than in years past. So that's- Just a wee bit different. (laughs) This is phenomenal. Several thousand SKUs a year. Those are products. So, and that's a great transition into um, our section on products. What types of products do you guys make and sell? And, you know, you said you keep in-house artists, in-house graphic designers, and you license work because you have so many products. Can you talk to us a little bit about that process? Like what's the timeline and what's the process for, for that, for developing that many SKUs? It's crazy. I know. I know. Let me, I'll tell you a little bit about the products that we do and then I'll give you a timeline. I I mentioned earlier, we have the four different divisions. So Mm -hmm. the main things that we develop are for three of the brands, Counter Art, Highland Home and Callahome for those January and July introductions. And that would be under counter art. We do made in USA, 100% made in USA, manufactured here in Florida, placemats. We call them easy care placemats. They're out of a plastic material in rectangle, round, and wedge. So that's a, a key mm-hmm. product for us. But we, I also, want some. <laughs> <laughs> we also do hardboard 
table mats and coasters. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm old enough to remember Pimpernel days and we do see some of the hardboards in the higher end stores, gift stores, some of the department uh-huh. stores today. That's an, another avenue that's under the Callahan brand. And then what are they made out of? Uh, it's, Wood or? We call it a hardboard. So it's an MDF board with a printed paper top and a cork back. Oh, I have that one. way. Okay. That way it protects your table. It looks a little bit dressier and we're able to use a little bit of Windex on them, wipe them clean. Yep. You don't have Those to wash them. Yes. Yes. They don't really stick nice. To your, they don't stick to your tablecloth. I have kids. Yes. So I have tablecloths that are not cloth. They're, um, uh, waxed cloth oh sure i know exactly yes i love it i love it and do you know how hard they are to find i know they really are (laughs) some of the other items we have under the highland home brand we have coasters or absorbent coasters made out of stoneware if you some people just say ceramic uh, we have car coasters that you can put in your drink holders in your car. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We have glass counter savers so that you can just, you know, make a sandwich on that or put your utensils on it and wash it clean. I'm we looking have, at them right now. I love it. <laughs> oh, good, good. We have glass Lazy Susans. And, you know, that that's what we call tabletop or um kind of home decor with the coasters. Yeah, also, you have a whole category of tabletop and servingware. We do. And and then moving from there in home decor, we have floor mats. Sounds crazy. Sounds unrelated, but it, it truly is related. Well, we have like large placemats, right? <laughs> um, for the floor, for in front of your stove, in front of your front door, inside I'm your door. If the process is kitchen. similar, <laughs> <laughs> but it's we're we're getting ready to introduce two new. Currently, we have the anti fatigue mat, and for 2021, we're introducing a linen look. It's a, a woven mm. polyester linen, low profile, so that you can open your doors and you won't trip yes. over. Yes, that will sell both plain and printed. And then we're selling an outdoor mat that you can put right outside of the door on your porch, uh, printed. And I, I keep using that word printed. I need to go back and, and remind everyone, we're a manufacturer. A lot of times you'll talk to a vendor like us and that person imports everything from overseas and just resells. Mm. Yeah, but most, a lot of what we do, if we don't make it 100% in the U.S., we will be, bring a blank product in and we print. We're we're printers. We have all kinds of printing machines. And then yeah. the, the last grouping that we have under Housewares and Kitchen, our Chop Chop brand, 100% made in the USA. We make flexible cutting mats out of the plastic. Mm. Think about if you, you get one of those traditional cutting mats or cutting boards out, I should say, and you're chopping and then you have to transfer everything that you've chopped to a bowl when you spill mm-hmm. half of it on the counter. Mm-hmm. These are thin plastic. You chop on it, does not ruin your knives. Pick it up and you just funnel it, fold it, and it just falls right into your bowl or your pan or wherever you want to place I'm it. I'm looking so. at them right now. I'm going to have to order some. You guys, if you're listening and you want these, that's C O N 
I M A R dot com, just so you know. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. The the other product only. <laughs> I like that slogan. Well, if you and keep on going from that, we have pastry mats that we make 100% here. Uh, I, I'll those. stop right there. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. That's a you lot. have so many products. We so do. how do you keep track of all these SKUs? And how long does it take you to go from artwork and concept to finished product? Timeline is approximately a year in advance when you wow. start. But because we also do custom work, we work in the present and in the future at all times. Right now, mm. we're making products for fall 2020 for some people, but we're finishing up the 2021 catalog. I'll say we're just a wee bit behind on that. For 2021, mm. we'll release our catalog this year on December 1st, just in time for the January Atlanta show. But mm. as we finish that, I'm already gathering art for 2022 and we have Amazing. key account requests for 2022. So it's about a year in advance. If we're looking from where we begin to getting to our printed catalog, first it's the art selection. Mm -hmm. And as you select art at the same time, how I keep track of it is I have a skew count. By each category, each individual product class, I keep track of how many SKUs I have. Mm -hmm. And then as we're approaching a season, I determine how many I'm discontinuing. Typically, that's anywhere from 25 to 50% of my inventory I will turn over. So wow. I, I determine, okay, if I'm going to discontinue 25%, Will I bring back in 25%? Is this still a, a valid category? Or mm. do I, is that selling well? I, I'm constantly analyzing sales and determining, is this product trending? Do we build it? Or uh -huh. is it downtrending? Do we get rid of it? Or do we just maintain it the same level? So those are all decisions that uh, right now, as soon as we get the 2021 catalog out, I'll already be looking at what might we discontinue based on 2020. Mm -hmm. What will we discontinue as far as categories for the next, for that 2022 year? So now, everything, go I ahead. I find go that ahead, fascinating. And I want to ask a question about that because I think it's something that artists don't um, realize. So I have a friend that's in sales and she uses the term sell through. Yes, absolutely. And so I just wanted to take a moment to kind of define that and talk, you know, you're, you're talking about evaluating the effectiveness of a product. Right. Is it selling? Yes. And I guess that's called sell through. Are there other terms we should know? Um, it's basically, I guess you're using a spreadsheet and you're looking at, you know, we produced this many and this many sold and this many didn't. And that's a big determining factor, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, one thing I want to point out is we all like to think of art and artist and fun and creative, but it's very much a business field as well. Yes. You, in this position, you, you have to be statistical. When we talk about sell-throughs, when I look at it, I divide everything by category. I want mm -hmm. to know 
what percent of business that category is to my total. I want okay. to know what is the average sell through, as you say, for the item. Typically, selling through 80% is good, but there's a different way that we look at it. Since we manufacture, I don't have to stock it on the shelf. I don't have to bring in 1,200 pieces or 3,000 pieces from China and hope to sell that much. I'm going to print on demand. And that's where mm. we have the advantage. Somebody can place an order with us. Typically, depending on the amount of it, if it's a small amount, we might be able to get it out in a couple days to a week. If it's, um, we have one customer that orders around 1 million placemats a month. Wow. So that's, uh, takes a, a little bit longer, but still we also have to work with accounts like that on projections. We like to know three to six months out, what are they projecting? Even if it's not uh -huh. the exact, it, it gives you a target. The other thing I look at is what are my average sales? I might have an entire collection. I might have, oh, let's see, last year, I think we had 28 collections that we, we had brand new. And mm. I might have 15 pieces in one collection or 12 in another so totaling the sales and comparing collections to see which one was number one, that's not apples to apples if they have a different number of SKUs. So oh, I would yeah. take the total sales, divide by the number of SKUs to get the average sales per SKU. And then right. I compare that because I could have a category with 100 SKUs, a whole category even, and then I might have a category that has 20 SKUs. Well, the one with 100 more than likely had higher sales, but it's not relative. I'm mm -hmm. looking for dollars sold per SKU. And to me, if I can sell, well, maybe $10,000, I'm on a good track. Yeah. If I only sell a couple hundred dollars in a whole year for a SKU, obviously that's not enough to, to maintain that SKU. I really like the ones that are selling $30,000 or $50,000 or $100,000 because I'm making one design and bringing in a lot more money. Yeah. So that that's how we evaluate. That's really fascinating. Now, just for real basicness, SKU is actually spelled S-K-U. What, what does S-K-U stand for? Do you know off the top of it, your head? I do. It stands for a stock keeping unit. Stock keeping unit. Ah, thank you. It's always nice to have those acronyms defined, don't you think? Right, because we we talk in these terms all the time. I, I I'll tell you a quick story. Yeah. Um, when we talk about things, I had visited one of my retail stores when I was in working retail, okay. and I told the sales manager, who was a a nurse by night working in the store during the day. She had a lot of inventory in her stock room and not out there for sale. And I looked at her and I said, by tomorrow morning, this product needs to be on the floor. Well, for us, when we speak, it's the selling floor. I uh -huh. went back the next day. She had taken everything off the shelf and she had put it right on the floor <laughs> of the stock room. So just a little story to point out how important it is 
to know the terms of the industry you're working in. (laughs) And, you know, that's one of my goals here is to just ask those questions and keep them relevant and, and define them simply because, you know, I taught for a long time. Right. And I taught the software. You know, yes. So that's a whole different world of acronyms, you know, yes. Photoshop and Illustrator and JPEG and GIF and, and exactly. rotate and, you know, skew. Skew right. in Photoshop means a whole different thing. You're, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Are you enjoying the Artist Appeals? I know I love recording it. This is just a quick break to encourage you to get your free download of the top four things that you can do to make money with your art at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com. So get your free download at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com today. And now back to your regular program. Well, going, going back to the timeline a little bit too, I, I thought I'd tell you after we review the the sales and we look at the SKUs and we decide what we're doing, we have to plan out how long will it take to design? Are we designing? How much are we designing in-house? Because obviously that Mm -hmm. takes a little bit longer time than just picking art and manipulating it. Hmm. And then when do we start the catalog? Because for the catalog, you have to look at the pagination. What's the layout? Mm -hmm. Where will each section fall? How many pages will it be? And we talk about the catalog in SIGs. Each 16 Ooh. pages is a signature. So uh-huh. I I would, if I'm talking to you, I'd say, okay, well, let's see how many SIGs we're having. We have to know that our catalog is divisible by 16 because that's how we print the sections. Then we talk about our cover being four pages. You have your front cover, your back cover, and the inside of both of those. So it's not as easy as just make all these pages and just place it. We're trying to place it in signatures, find out what will be a left page, what will be a right page. We like to start on a right page so that, because that's, as you turn, that's what you look at. Right. And then what do you want on your double page spread as you open Mm -hmm. up the pages so that's the layout of it is very important to do. Oh yeah, and I used to teach InDesign and we would talk yes, about signatures. Absolutely. But we never talked about it in the term of SIGs. So that's really cool to hear that shortening. Right. That, right. that little That's you, cool. You're in the industry, you forget and you start talking like that and people are looking <laughs> at you like what are you even talking about? But but once we decide the the layout, the pagination, we start placing things you, you get to a point where you're reviewing, you're reviewing, you have to write copy and mm-hmm. you have to take what we call glamour photography. So you'll hear us talk about glams uh-huh. and, um, and the Another setup great word, right. And that the setup for those is you, you want the right atmosphere. When you look mm-hmm. at the cover of our catalog, which I know you've, you've seen from looking online, mm-hmm. you would not know that what we used as a table floorboards we went and we bought floorboards at Lowe's and we snapped them together put them on the floor and when the shot was done we created an edge of a table Mm. and it it just the layout the placement but digital was so wonderful because you can look at it and you can tweak so the photography takes us several weeks because we're we have to design the set we have Mm -hmm. to go buy the props we have mm-hmm. to buy the food. 
to show mm-hmm. and we have to place it. We buy most of the time real flowers to to add to that. Um, you have to choose your napkins that are going to match. But yeah. as you know, you can color correct and you can, we might use one napkin and then just keep changing the colors for the next. <laughs> and um, a lot of a lot of little things there. The other thing we'll do is we go into stock photography and we pull in uh, a room, a photograph of a room, oh. and then we just add our pieces to it. We might lay them out, photograph them, and then just pull them into the photograph that and we I imagine the one of the biggest challenges is keeping the whole. So it's easy to get individual shots, but then having a feeling and overall consistency Absolutely. and voice throughout all these different designs and the catalog and, oh my goodness. Right, right. And then you're proofing because you've written copy. I have never once produced a catalog that has not had a mistake. We can go through <laughs> it. We can have five to 10 people go through three to I four love times. That. And as soon as it's printed is when you'll find your, you know, your mistake. Now, not to say that we, we right. don't find them ahead of time. We do. We'll, we'll correct. And we have so many people doing it because you, each one finds different things. Yeah. So all of that proofing will take a couple weeks as well. Then we send it to a printer and the printing process will take a couple weeks then we'll, you have to think about who are you mailing it to? You have to come up with your mailing list, send that out. It goes to a mailing house. It gets sorted, mailed. We get our copies back and, and there's your process, <laughs> but it's, um, it's it uh, a over a year. Right. Right. And then and you're you know- ready for the show. I think you got ahead of me. You're already I did. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's great. It's great. It's I, perfect. Actually, um, I'm right there at the presentation. I'm ready now to present it. I have my catalog. Well, you know, so you guys go to Atlanta Mart, and is this where you present your catalog and find, you talk about your customers. Um, do you think Atlanta Mart is going to go on this year? And Oh, it, it definitely will. It did go on this summer, and we... We present at three different shows. We used to do more than that, but we've narrowed it down to Atlanta. That's the primary. Uh, This summer, it was interrupted instead of July. It was held in August. We've already had numerous phone calls and Zoom calls. We are presenting in January, as usual. There will Mm -hmm. be a lot of different protocols, as you've seen over the summer, But Atlanta is a key show for wholesale. Mm -hmm. We also present in Germany at the Ambiente show, which is very prestigious. That Mm. typically is in February every year, but has been spell that um, A M as in mother, B as in boy, I E N T E. So Ambiente is in Frankfurt, Germany. The Ambiente show typically is held in February. However, that's already been moved to August of 2021. We may skip for 2021 and go back for 2022, but our company has been showing there for approximately 40 years. Wow. It's it's amazing. And then the third really important show for us is the Inspired Home Show in Chicago. In the past, we all knew it as the... Um, International Home Association, but it's an mm-hmm. inspired home show 
Again, Disrupted was not held for 2020, typically is held in March. That's been moved back next year. So a lot of the shows are disrupted. In the past, we were showing in Dallas. We've shown it Las Vegas, but we decided to just narrow in on the three shows. We right. also have went sales to the, reps. The mm-hmm. Vegas licensing show? Not the licensing show, yeah, but the, the trademark. Right? right. Well, trademark. the licensing show for us would be going to to find art. But mm-hmm. um the the Las Vegas trademark. So and- you so for artists. Um, so for you, you go to these three primary shows to meet your customers, right? Yes. Yes. Now, is that a good place for you to meet artists? Because- oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Typically you'll find a lot of them there in Atlanta, not so many in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Chicago, we also meet with our artists. It's, I, I should say, primarily we need to focus on the shows, on selling, that's where we also get inspiration. We walk around the show to see what our competitors are doing, what high end is doing, mm-hmm. uh, what the temporaries have to offer. Wait, wait, so, wait. You got to define those two right there. Oh, okay. High end and... And temporaries. Yeah, what is okay. that? When I, when I say high end, typically if we're looking for inspiration, we go to better how do i let's see fine art i'd say the fine art we go to when i say a high-end company would be a more prestigious more expensive more luxury Mm -hmm. brand because many times they're the ones who are doing the introduction and when you look at that product cycle you have that introduction level where it goes maybe influencers or people who are very trendy might first gravitate to that. Mm-hmm. Then it trickles down, gets to the better market, and then it trickles down to finally it reaches the mass. Mm-hmm. It's you talk about the bell curve when you when you speak about retail and that whole product life cycle mm-hmm. of the introduction through going down to, uh, does it become a classic at that point and become evenly steady or does the trend die out and move on to something else? Early the, adopters. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I Seth Golden. That's where I think I heard that term first. Early I, adopters. You're right. You're absolutely right. And when I talk about selling in Atlanta, Mm-hmm. And also a little bit at Chicago, we have reps, sales reps. In Atlanta, we're in a rep group showroom, the Southern mm-hmm. Link. So they maintain the showroom. They have reps in numerous states who sell our line. Mm-hmm. At Ambiente, there are a couple of us that go and we sell. We don't have reps overseas. We have a few distributors who gather in merchandise. We distribute it to them and then they go out as a rep and sell. Mm-hmm. And, and also in Chicago, our in-house team of sales reps go. 
Now, most of our, when I say in-house, we really deal with more of the, what we'll call key accounts, your mass accounts. We're, our company sells to all different levels. We sell to the mass, which would be your Walmart and your dollar stores. We make particular products for them. Mm-hmm. And then we, we make for the mid-tier some of the people that you would, the stores that you would recognize would be Home Goods, Cracker Barrel, mm-hmm. Christmas Tree Shops, and and then the gift stores, the more the independent stores. So mm-hmm. we're we're reaching a lot of different markets. You know, you we have a lot of different brands, a lot of different markets. The other thing would be our website, mm-hmm. especially now as as we're going virtual. You can look at the website. We also sell retail. Everything I've spoken to you about the shows is wholesale, but we do sell retail online, Amazon, mm-hmm. Walmart.com. That's fascinating to do both because so many companies focus on just one or the other, just wholesale or just retail. It it used to be that way, and I think you're going to find a lot more people who like us, you would know as a wholesale vendor going online and selling their own product as well. One of the things, here's another term I'll throw out there. To do this, we talk about MAP pricing, M-A-P, because okay. what what that is, is it's pricing that is controlled. We ask that you don't go below a certain price in order for us to allow you to be online. That way we aren't selling to somebody who's going to go in and undercut everybody. Even we main, we maintain a pricing ourselves. Right. So that we aren't undercutting our customers as well. I think that's great advice, even for a small entrepreneur, because like with iConnect Crafts or something, I have to yes. promise that my products, I'm not going to go out there and sell them 50, 60% off and undercut right. my, my stores that are carrying Same my stuff thing. because they don't want to deal with you then. Very so, true. That's interesting. You call it a map though, because I've heard MSRP before, which is manufacturer right. suggested, suggested right. retail price. And and this is the the maintain the pricing that you want people to maintain, not to be below. So I may say, okay, this item is fifteen dollars. You cannot go below thirty. Um, but but many times it's suggested to be at 32. So it's in a mm-hmm. sense, it's it's very similar. When you're doing the MSRP, you're suggesting where that should be. But mm-hmm. when we're asking for the that price that you need to maintain, if we find that you're going below it, then we will not allow you to have that product online. Now we because we do, we have such a presence ourselves online. We limit other online companies. We do, if you're an independent store, you have both your brick and mortar and you have online presence. That is not a problem for us because you're probably going to keep the same pricing that you have in your store. But if you, it's an online only company who doesn't have the overhead of a store, many times they're the ones who go in and slash the pricing. So 
we don't allow a lot of those customers to be online with our product. Interesting. Very interesting. So that actually leads us to educate, I think, fairly well, because how do you um, educate them to that? And and do you put it in a contract? (laughs) Do you? Yes. (laughs) Yes. And, and, And let me even start back from the beginning. We've already talked about the catalog. So the main way that we communicate and educate is through our catalog, both printed and PDF, you know, at, at one time, people were saying the catalog is dead. Everything is online. Everything is just no, a flash long drive. Live the catalog. No, long it's live not the catalog. True. You're absolutely <laughs> right because people like to have something in their hand. They can turn the pages. They can spend time looking at it. We still... They can we circle the things they want. Yes, yes, that's true. But we we offer a PDF catalog, especially it, it, since I mentioned we sell at the Ambiente Show in Germany. We do sell internationally. We have an export program. And if you come to our, our show in Ambiente, we might give you a flash drive because you may not want mm. to carry the catalog mm-hmm. or catalogs, I should say. Mm. Um, yeah. But but we also have a PDF that we can we can email a link to. The other thing that we do with social media, we are on Facebook, Pinterest, mm-hmm. Instagram. We do e-blast. We create our own in-house. We we do some printed mailers. I know that sounds mm-hmm. old-fashioned, but there are still a lot of our brick-and-mortar stores who do not go online. So therefore, we'll we'll print a postcard prior to a show with uh, something to entice them to come in, and maybe a discount, mm-hmm. maybe something free that we'll be giving away. We'll send that out. And the other thing that we do with our key accounts, everything that we do for some of the majors could a lot of it's custom work. So we do presentations right now. We're just finishing up three presentations to some of our mass stores. Mm-hmm. And we do a generally a PDF. We send it out. It's almost like a mini catalog because we do a beautiful cover with a glam shot, an introductory page on a little bit of product information. Mm-hmm. And then we show designs by category that they may be interested in. If they have a program with us, when I mention a program, some of the stores, because we sell placemats, it's advantageous to both them and us to do a display. We'll have mm-hmm. an eight, I'll say an eight skew placemat, a wire rack in some of these, the mass stores. Mm-hmm. And we do programs where every year we take a look and we tweak our assortment. But by showing eight different designs, having the display, they fill it all year round, reordering. Oh, nice. So that's that produces more sales. When you when you design programs like that, you make more of an impact in a store. Now I've heard programs also or the presentation of a program also referred to as a POG, uh, a POG. Do you guys use that term as well? No, we really don't. <laughs> okay, that's more the craft stores. Right, right. And and I I know what you're what you mean on that. We just say presentation and and um 
you know, but it, but it's interesting you mentioned that term because we still have people say, will you send me a CAD of this? A CAD? I, I think the computer-aided design. Mm-hmm. I, that, that is, I think of that as being very dated. Back when I was in art school, back in, I won't tell you how many years ago, <laughs> we did talk about CADs in design when um, I was in apparel design was my... Mm. I study. I do have a fine arts degree. So when we talk oh. about the difference, I, I am a, an artist at heart. But um, today, you know, we, we do everything in Illustrator or Photoshop. So, mm-hmm. yes, it, it is a computer-aided design. But um, we, just, we just talk about our, you know, we'll send you a JPEG yeah, or PDF. And we just work it that way. I think it's really interesting to just recap that you were talking about marketing to both your wholesalers, your clients, your customers, your um, stores, both big and small, and your custom um, programs. But you also are out there on social media marketing to the individual customer. Yes, yes you're helping your stores out. You're not relying on them to do it all themselves. Yes. That, that makes me think of one other thing too. We do have stores that want to advertise on their own and they don't have the, uh, well, they do have the ability, but it's, they don't really have the resources to go out and do their own glamour photography. We offer to any of our stores glamour photography, photo images, just to help them. Oh, brilliant. That is a really great way to amplify. And A for amplify. We've done A-P-P-E-A for amplify. Yeah, I think that's great. So you you don't charge them. You don't ask them for a license. Oh, you no. just give them a, a PowerPoint or not a PowerPoint, but like a PDF or JPEG, JPEGs, or they want. <laughs> JPEGs, TIFFs, whatever they need, we we provide that for them. We oh, we wow. have been known. Nice. I really shouldn't advertise it, but we've been known to help some of our retailers out with their own catalog that they've wanted to send out. So oh, we wow. and and for our sales reps, we'll do an e blast and then we'll send it to the rep groups in a format where they put in their logo, their information, their show, anything uh-huh. that they want. So we, we try to, to work. It's a two way street. They, make a they need the tools. Yes. Oh, I love that idea. So you give them a template that can be customized with just a little bit of knowledge of Photoshop or Illustrator or whatever, right? Well, and there we'll when we do the e-blast, it's just a matter of we've done everything. You just drop in your type, your information. Oh, nice. But it is a template. And that serves you in the end as well. Because yes, if they yes. sell products, if they sell through your products, they're going to order more. Exactly. Oh, great. That is a brilliant method for amplification. So do you have a whole team in-house of marketers doing social networking, social media, plus all these? I mean, this is a lot. It, it sounds like a lot. And I think you'd be shocked at how few people I have. It's we're, we're a very lean team. In the Ocala, Florida office, I have two graphic designers. 
That's just it. two. One of them is my licensing manager. She is one of our designers, a graphic designer. And she also, well, pretty much does the e-blast. She does all the social media. The mm. second one does a lot of the custom art. She maintains our Amazon website. I write mm-hmm. the copy for it. We all pitch in. In my Tennessee office, I have two graphic designers there, and I have a one in-house. Well, I shouldn't say in-house. She's a contract artist, so she's mm-hmm. there part of the time, at home part of the time. And they produce a lot of the catalogs there, but we produce catalogs here. So the the five of them work along with me as a team, and we do everything that I have just spoken about. Wow. So that actually is a great tip or trick because most artists are solopreneurs, artpreneurs, and they've got to do it all themselves. So how do you repurpose content and not get uh, work smarter, not harder. You know, how do you streamline all that? I I think it's it's because we're organized. Every week we have a meeting, we have an agenda, we break it down like you, like your your art product presentation. We break things down. We keep our list of what we have to do. We have a timeline. The I have to tell you, though, the sales reps are always calling, I need it tomorrow. The buyer called today, I need it tomorrow. It's really difficult to fit in. We have to sometimes step in and say, no, I can't do that today. I can do that by next Friday. Well, Mm -hmm. I, I had one thing that actually is on the slate for tomorrow, but we got a, an email on Monday saying, but can't you give it to us on Wednesday? We'll have it to them today. We compromise. We're, we're working a lot of, a little bit of overtime to get that done. Right. But we have a team that's very efficient. We just, we look at it that way and break it all down to, I'm going to say it's almost like a, a mathematical format when you, you break things down into timelines and tasks it's, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things we didn't talk about, and we, we may get to it, but with artists, do you want to be just the artist and only create, or, or can you be your own business person as well? That, that takes a lot of time and organization to do that. Or as the artist, do you want to hire an agent who will do the business part of it for you so you can just create and not worry about it? There are options. You're right. You're absolutely right. Some people are very organized and can self-direct. And everybody gets overwhelmed. I mean, everybody does. I know that with all the things I do, sometimes I have trouble focusing. So like I was just um, recording a little podcast today, one of those short ramblings about some of the methods that I use to try and keep things organized. And I use bullet journals, but I also use a quadrant system. Um, I think whatever works for you to focus and prioritize, but you're absolutely right. You can get an art agent, you can just be a licensed artist, or you can be an entrepreneur and try and do it all. I think you, you said one thing that works so well for all of us. The organization, I keep two lists all the time. One is my email and phone call list. 
Uh-huh. And the second is my to-do list. I'm nodding. I'm and nodding. Yes, tell me more. <laughs> I cannot live without that because as soon as somebody mentions something to me, it goes on one of those two lists. I We can't remember everything with all that's going on today. So mm-hmm. I'm able to keep track because it's on one of those lists. And if it's on my to-do list, it's in one of my categories on there. Is it falling under the key account part of that list, under the new product list, under the catalog list? So there's, Mm. I have different sections there and and that's how we hold our weekly meetings. We talk about the categories. Okay. Key accounts. What are we working on there? What are the deadlines? Catalog, Mm -hmm. um, new products, and everything falls into a category. When you have it organized like that and you have a timeline, it's so much easier not it to is. forget something and to stay on track. And you can cross it off or put a little check yes. mark and it's so gratifying. <laughs> they Well, everybody laughs at me because I, I keep a blue pen, a black pen, and a red marker on my desk. Oh, And I'll know. write everything in black. Mm-hmm. I put special things in blue and I cross it off in red. So huh? it's, it... It just helps me visualize what needs to be done ASAP, what's on my list and what is done. Cindy, I love that. I'm going to adopt that right away because as an artist, I'm so visual and Mm -hmm. I bullet journal. And what you're talking about is bullet journaling. That's a big hot trend, you know, and and they use marks. We use a, a dot in the front to indicate a task that hasn't been done. Oh, yes. You can use a, um, you exit out when it is done. Right. You can cross the whole thing out if it is irrelevant. And as you move right. your list forward, as you rewrite your list, you use an arrow. Um, you turn that mm-hmm. dot into an arrow mm-hmm. to move, move it forward. And there's all sorts of marks. And you can make your own. I use an eyeball. I draw a little eyeball around <laughs> my dots to do indicate things that I want to research or look up. Mm-hmm. But I love your black, blue, and red. I, I love the color coding. I hadn't thought of that yet. Great tip. you. Great tip. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that eyeball. I really like that too. And I use an That's asterisk. My... Different, different things. Yes. 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 The little eyeball. If you just draw the oval around the dot, you've got an eyeball and you can even put little right. eyelashes on it. <laughs> So you can be you can be creative at the same time you're working on your business. You can. I've seen some of these bullet journalers that turn their bullet journals into works of art. Now I don't go that far, but it it definitely mm-hmm. they can be beautiful. Mm-hmm. So you know that is a great great tip is to keep lists and to organize those lists. And even if you're not working on a catalog, you could certainly organize your list by say project. That's um, right. You know stuff like that. So licensing and contracts are an integral part of business, but I know a lot of artists and creatives are scared of them. They think that they're complicated. Um, What licensing and contracts do you use between yourself and licensed artists and between yourself and your customers? What are some of the terms maybe that people need to know and understand and look for in just straight up plain English? I I don't know if there's any particular term. With licenses that we have in contracts, we do have our own really basic contract. It's spelled out. Mm-hmm. And we use, many times if it's an agent, they have their own. So I, I do say read them carefully. 
-hmm. We have, if we want to talk about a term, we have what's called exhibits. And the exhibit further defines, for example, under, we might say for the artwork, refer to exhibit A. Well, exhibit A would show a photo of that artwork or maybe give it the name. Usually I like Mm -hmm. both a name and a a photo. Mm -hmm. Or it might further define something. So whatever's in your exhibits depends on who you're working with and what you're doing. But I think it's almost like an extra, right? It is. You have the contract, which is pretty standard and you just have to read. And then it will reference a page at the end that says, and they're just called exhibits. I, I I know this from legalese. My dad was a lawyer, but yeah, they have exhibits too. So fairly easy, but that's a great term to understand and know. It is. And I think probably the most important is just to read through and see what is expected of you. You want to know Mm -hmm. what, what art is being licensed? When will it would be introduced? Are they going to, or you should as an artist, give them the name that you want to show in print? Is Mm -hmm. it, you know, initials? Is it your little logo? Is it a spelled out name? Mm. So that, so that it's recognized. And then what, what royalty rates, that's really important. How and what will you be paid? What percentage? Yeah. Um, The common royalty rates for us right now is 5%. When I Hmm. first started licensing many, many years ago, we were paying 10 and 12%. Hmm. But the market has come down so much. If we're doing maybe a a huge program, we might take it to 3%. and, And an artist shouldn't be afraid of that because you're probably on that program still going to make a lot of money if the program's that big. Or Two and a half percent. There are a lot of things. Again, if it's a mass, we might come back with a two and a half percent because with mass accounts, we are discounting our products to the the store that we're selling it to. Therefore, we need to discount the percentage. But the volume, you have to think yes. about if I'm only selling a hundred pieces well, this is what I'm going to make, but what if I sell 10,000 pieces? We we tend to talk in percentages, mm-hmm. but your dollars are what you take to the bank. So I always say, look at the percentages, but compute your dollars because that's what you're going to be making. Don't turn down a low percentage because the units that you, they're going to sell may give you tenfold over what you would have made. And then the the other thing that we do is we do a lot of flat fee art for mm-hmm. really for the lowest of the mass that we work with where we really so, we let's just define real quick mass market means the yes, big guys guys. That would that be like, like your your dollar stores that demand yeah. a low price. Um we we will go out Walmart and, uh, now, Walmart, I don't consider mass. I'm going to call really? that. Well, we, I'm going to okay. say the dollar stores. <laughs> now, it is big box. Uh-huh. So, but I'm still, I'm going to pay you more for Walmart, believe it or not. Okay. Than the dollar stores. So there is a lower than a Walmart. 
Well, there's a dollar and store in every single town across there the is, United there States, is, there's, even if it's like a 500 person town. Oh, that's true. And there, there are various dollar stores. And for the dollar stores, we ask for flat fee. So oh, okay. there, we're going to pay you a flat dollar amount every year. If they renew it for the next year, we're going to pay you a flat fee for that year. Okay. And so you can you can get that same amount of money for two or three years, depending on how long the product mm-hmm. sells and is kept in inventory. But um, so in general, the royalty rate is going to go down for mass market because you're going to be producing more, more volume. Absolutely. And that's where I'm saying look at both percentage and dollars because just because the percentage goes down does not mean you're making less dollars. Yeah. Typically your dollars right go up. So it's it's the same thing when I was in retail, I might bring in maybe 120 units of something and when I see it sells really well, I would go back and say, well, if I buy 1200 of them and I'm going to ask you to sell it to me for 25% off. And then I bring it in and I sell it a little bit lower, but I've sold so many, I've made my company more margin dollars. Mm-hmm. And and that's it. It's it's all what we take to the bank. Yeah. Yeah. That's fabulous advice. So don't be scared of low royalty rates, folks. Don't focus on the royalty rates. Instead, focus on focus on on the dollars. And the other thing. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, you and I talked about and all of us at Art Biz Jam is I had heard the question, well, the vendor told me they could not use this in line, but they will keep it to show to key accounts. And they thought that was a little fishy, but but actually it's not. We have so many key account requests and those are the ones where we sell big numbers that one of the art calls we have right now is for fall harvest designs. And -hmm. if that company picks it up, they're probably going to buy maybe, I don't know, a few thousand, maybe 8,000, maybe 10,000 of an item. Mm -hmm. And, and that's probably more than I would sell to the gifts. Well, I do know, not probably it's a lot more than I would sell to a gift store. So -hmm. the fact that I like your art, I don't have the number of new SKUs to use every piece of art that I like. But if I like the art, I want to keep it on file. Mm-hmm. If I get a request from a key account and that your art falls into that request, I'm going to show it. It's almost and that, a compliment. It's more of a compliment than a scary thing. It's like, a, I really like your work and I want to find a home for it. Well, it, 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 I also want to make sure that we give you every opportunity to make money for both you and for me. So instead of looking at it once and discarding it, if I can't use it, I have the opportunity now to show that multiple times if it fits. Mm. And I, I think it used to be that artists did not want to be in a dollar store. They did not want to be in Walmart because they wanted the prestigious better stores. But today, I, I think it's a compliment for your art to be anywhere. And it's all about making money. Mm. Show me the money. True. <laughs> There's no shame in it. It's not selling out, folks. It's not. You got to make a living. Artwork is work. Mm. Yes, yes. 
I, I did want to share another story with you. Yeah, I love stories. I, I know one of your questions is, what terms have you misunderstood? And, or, <laughs> you know, and we had somebody who did not read through the contract and signed it. Okay. We were licensing with a brand. The brand put into the contract that they wanted to be able to buy any samples that they wanted at our cost plus 25%. Okay. Usually cost we don't manufacture do that. plus 25%. Okay. Right. Plus 25%. And we typically would not sign a contract like that. It was signed and we, we legally signed it. We have to hold true to that. So that's why it's, it's really important yeah. that you read every bit of it. The other thing in there is as an artist, all of us give you free samples. Uh-huh. We as a company will give each artist four free samples of their product. I was talking to my licensing managers this morning and I asked her to review a contract that had this was signed before her time. And she came back to me today and she goes, do you know in this contract it is giving nine samples to the agent and nine samples to the artist. And I said, you're kidding, right? What are they going to do is, with nine of them? Is, well, we, we laughed about that a little bit as we were speculating, but 18 <laughs> samples, we, that's, that is not good for us. That's a lot of free merchandise to, to pass hey, out. It comes out of your profit margin, right? It does. So not only the artists, but even us vendors have to be really careful about what sent a contract. Right. So I know artists like to get free product, but I think I'd rather have money in the bank. <laughs> oh, true, true. You, and the other thing also is take a look at where it's going to be sold. Um, I, I like to say worldwide rights because we do export. Okay. But technically, if I don't put that and I say USA... If I export to another country, I'm, I'm violating my contract. You've got to renegotiate. So that's true. You, you really do. And it could be, if it's an agency that you're licensing with, it could be they already have a contract in another country and they don't want to allow you to license there. So that's, you know, every single line in the contract is important to read. And this yeah. is why for us, since we know what's in our contract, we prefer to use our contract. We don't have to read it. We know what's there. Right. And it's not meant to put one over on somebody. No, no. But, you know, they do define, I know one of the things I learned with contracts early on that I found fascinating was you do have to define the region, but you also have to define the product, right? So absolutely, you might want yes. worldwide for yes. coasters. yes. Good but that point, doesn't Aaron. mean worldwide for cheats. You know, it's a whole different category. We we deal with that also. For example, we have one company. Um, I, I didn't talk about the ceramics that we do. We we make ceramic mugs. We print those to okay. go with a coordinate or match a coaster. Mm-hmm. And with all the products, we like to do collections. It seems that when we present vignettes of collections, they sell better than individual designs. 
What do you mean a vignette so, of a collection? Um, a vignette, if I'm in the showroom and I present a vignette that shows a Lazy Susan, a glass counter saver, coasters, ah. mugs, placemats, mm-hmm. paper placemats, floor mats, everything that coordinates yes. different, maybe different pieces of art, different design, different colors all together, a retail store can buy the whole collection and present what I call just a little vignette in the store. It might be a table display that's has everything appealing mm-hmm. and they just need to add a few more pieces to that. Mm-hmm. So that sells so much better, but we have been known to be working so fast that we put out all these products. We actually go to catalog the, the, Agent comes back and sees the catalog and says, well, I never approved for you to have a mug. I I already had that license. You Uh can't sell that. Well, it's already in your catalog. So one of the things I say when you're licensing is define the products. Even for us, when we request, our, our request should say to you, I'm would, I would like to license your art for, and I'm going to give a year, 2021, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I would like to license for the following categories. It will be introduced in my 2021 catalog, which will be released mm-hmm. on December 1st, 2020. And that would be worldwide rights. So that gives you all the information you need to make a decision. If you Cindy, don't that is get so- that, brilliant that is so summarized i love it that was that was brilliant <laughs> well i i don't know if i want to say that but it's it i think it helps both of us to not make mistakes and yeah. to keep you as a an artist if you're licensing and and you license the same thing typically for us or for any artist we will agree if i'm licensing one product category to allow you to license any other product category to anyone else. If I'm licensing coasters with you, I'm hoping that you would not license coasters to anybody else. I'd like to have the exclusive for the category. I do know some of my competitors, if they license one category, they don't want any of their competitors to license that design at all. And I I don't think that's fair to the artist. So It's, you know, that's one thing you need to look out for too. What, what is yeah. that company asking of you? Are they, are they tying up your art? I know another company that said, well, I want the exclusives in that category. Whether I license your art or not, you can't sell any of your art to anybody else in that category. If I'm what? not using a piece of your art, even though I license coasters, you can license it to somebody else for coasters. That's the way it should be. Yeah, I don't even see so how that be would careful. work. If you're not licensing it, then you can't. Well, it it's up. it's true. This, this has been requested. And I know when an artist came to me and asked me about it, I said, if you made a deal like that, you need to go back and say, then you need to guarantee X dollars coming to me in a year in order for me to be able to hold that category for you. What if, what if they don't license anything in that year? Yeah. You have lost the money that you could have shown 
to somebody else that sold the same category. So, so be careful. I actually have had that experience and it's called a minimum royalty guarantee and I won't get into the details, but yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I, and, and that also brings up another point. We do not give a guarantee. Uh, uh-huh. Generally we have big brands. If we're licensing a, a known brand, we'll ask for a guarantee that we have to give them whether we sell that amount or not. But, um, and in advance, we do not do advances. We don't do a guarantee. If the artists request it, my answer is I have plenty of artists who don't require that. I don't need you. So if you don't end up licensing the work, do you release them from their Absolutely. Contract? Oh, yes. That's an, Aaron, that's another good point. Yes. And, and sometimes it goes both ways. We, we just had an email come in this week saying, you know, I've had this art on hold for you for six months. Are, are you going to use it or would you release it? And, mm-hmm. um, that was, it was an oversight on our part. I always feel guilty when it gets to, to be that. And we, you know, absolutely we release it. We won't be using it. Well, that's, you know, and that's open communication. That is, that is actually a good transition into our last topic, which is success and planning for success. And as an artist, you do have to keep track of your work. And so, you know, if you're pitching, if you're going out to people and saying, hi, do you want to use this work? You got to know, uh, okay, this is over here. I need to contact them. How do you, um, you know, we talked about goals a little bit. We talked about bullet journaling, but how do you measure success? Um, how do you plan for success and celebrate success? Because I know sometimes, especially as artists, we just bounce from one project to the next and we don't stop to celebrate our successes. What do you guys do? I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> we don't always have time to celebrate. What what we do is to plan sales and our sales team sits down, they look at all of their accounts, they look at how much business did I do in this particular year? Where do I want to take that business for the next year? Mm-hmm. They also look at who are my new accounts I want to target. And then they come back to us and then we need to make that happen with the art and with the products. We also at the same time plan what new products would we like to introduce. We're, we're limited a little bit because if, if I was somebody who just imported, I would go overseas and any category I like, I would bring in. But we prefer to either make it 100% here Which I love. or print it, be able to print it. So it has mm-hmm. to be something that can come in that we can print on a blank. It limits a little bit of what we can do. Now, there we also do import if it's a, a huge amount coming in in a, a short period of time and they need a really good price, we can go ahead and and have it printed, bring it in from China. So we're planning our sales. We're planning what we're doing with our accounts. We're planning our product. What makes us feel successful is when we do make the sales plan, when the products do sell at the rate that we want them to sell at, when we have best sellers that we 
thought would would happen when we have customers, the rep, coming back and saying, I love this art. You did such a good job. I love your catalog. Oh, I love your glamour shots. So Mm -hmm. that with the sales and with the profit, because sales alone doesn't always mean profit. So it's not only making the sales, but making that profit margin. That's when Mm -hmm. we're excited. What, What we do to celebrate generally when we finish the catalog, we go out to lunch. Yay. It's like a, woo, that's done. Let's eat. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, that's about it because you're, you're already on to the next program, the next yeah. catalog and everything is rush, rush, rush. But I, I, I try to make sure even after every single presentation for a key account, I go back to my team and I just say, guys, that was really well done. And yeah, when our VP of sales or our president says, wow, what a great presentation. I always yeah. go back and, and I say, your team, you did a great job and just try to do a little bit along the way. Yeah. You know, we've had some great different examples of how people celebrate success. Jane Davenport says when she finishes a book, she goes on vacation to um, <laughs> some place. Ah. Yeah. Exotic, like right. Egypt. Um, and Patty, another, um, product development Mm -hmm. interview, she said they do a lot of cake. (laughs) Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of cake, we have this wonderful place in town called Betty cakes. And I I have a son that said, mom, this is better than anything I've had in DC, New York, France, all over the place. So I do have to admit, we get a piece of Betty cake. Now, so I think it could be small or big, you know, true, even if that's it's true. going out to lunch or going to Egypt, you know. Um, but it also makes me think of Owen Garrett. He, You were talking about your sales reps giving you feedback. And he had a really interesting quote. He said, the only person that gets a say in the subject of my artwork is the client. I thought huh. that was really interesting. Now, he's a, um illustrator. Yes. Uh, do you know the name, the pencil neck, Owen Garrett? No, I don't. Well, he's something different. He does um, black and white illustrations of antique mining equipment. Ooh. And his target market is rich CEOs of okay. mining corporations. Uh-huh. He also does antique um, scenes of golf. So mm-hmm. fantastic guy. But he came up with these markets because clients kept asking him. These This market kept coming back to him. And so people kind of say, this is a really weird niche. You, you draw antique mining equipment, mining rigs, what? Who buys that? He says, nope, nope. The only person that gets a say in what goes in my artwork is the client. Good point. That does bring up something else I'd like to say. Sure. Hit me. We... We do look at that a little bit too. For example, uh, I feel that my my creative team has a very good eye for color and design. Yeah, and it, it brings me back to when I'm thinking about even deciding on what goes on the cover of a catalog. I can remember one time we decided we'll just really just step away from what we've been doing in the in the past. At one point they would just put a piece of art on the cover. Mm-hmm. That, that's it. Or maybe a lot of product. 
Mm-hmm. So we did. We decided in this one year to really step out and and go for a particular trend, and do a, a close up tabletop shot. The the creative director here in Florida with me and I just loved it. We we thought it was great. The it management worked. The our, our VP of sales or national sales manager they didn't like it. They uh-huh. they they didn't even like the collection. So I went to the owner and I said, you know, we're having a little bit of a disagreement what's on the the cover. And he said, you're the creative team. You make the decision. We went for it. Three years later, that collection is still practically as hot as it was when we introduced it. It was phenomenal. (laughs) So I, I tell my team, we share the new introductions with the sales management. Mm-hmm. And we we listen to what they say, but we make the final decisions because it's like I tell them, you go out, you work with your customers, you know what's in your customer stores, and you know what's selling right now. We know Great what's on feedback. the horizon, and we know what the new colors and new trends are. That's our decision. That's your job. Yeah. Yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. So it's really, it's, it's a teamwork though. I mean, you've got to listen oh, to what's is. working from the sales team, but you also have to know what the customer wants, what, what yes. that customer, that end customer. And sometimes they don't know yet. That's, that's true. They don't know until you show it to them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where the marketing comes in. It's how we present it, how we pull it together. One of the things that I say is you can look at a trend, but you have to interpret it for your market. It may be the right colors. It might be the pattern might be a little bit out there, but maybe you can tweak it. How do you take what's happening, what's on the horizon, what you're hearing, and make that work for your customer to sell it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Great advice. Great advice, Cindy. This has been such an informative, such a great podcast. Thank you. Oh, Erin, thank you. I just really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to to share all of this with you. (laughs) Well, you know, I just, I really, I love it. I I think all this information needs out there and I hope I can provide it. Great. Well, if you will hold on the line for just one moment, please. Okay. Do you want to learn how to make money with your art, but you're a little bit pressed for time and you don't have time to listen to every single episode? Well, we've made a free download for you at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com. You can get your free download and it includes the top four things you need to do today to start making money with your art. So if you want to learn how to make money with your art, but you're pressed for time, get the free download over at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com. All one word, no spaces, all spelled out. That's howtomakemoneywithyourart.com. Get your free download now.